Buenas tardes and good afternoon. My name is Jaylene Moore. I'm the La Voz Coordinator for the LASU Latin American Student Union at Binghamton University. And today I'm accompanied by somebody very, very, very special to LASU. Hi guys, my name is Jamal Ojeda. Um, I'm an alum of LASU, just graduated. Um, I was a former president, vice president and secretary back to back. So <laughs> it's good to be back on La Voz, you know. Hasn't been that long since my last show, but I'm excited to be back already. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here with me and like agreed to do this. You know, me and Jamal, um, Jamal was president when I interned for LASU and he made me love LASU that I had to run and, you know, be a part of the executive board. Um, and Jamal, I look at you. Bravo. I know, look at me now. <laughs> I was a little intern. <laughs> And I'm the boss coordinator. This is what we're talking about. You're like, <laughs> it's my little babies. They're all grown up now. <laughs> I know, I'll be watching you guys like a little abuelo in the back. I'm like, oh my God, like a 51st. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jamal has done so much work for Lawsuit. Like, Jamal has bled Lasu since he's come to Binghamton. He literally has from the work you've done, like with the Binghamton High School, with the Rosetta Stone and um, everything else that you've contributed and, you know, making Lasu to what it is today. Um, and I'm just so, 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 so happy that you're like doing this conversation with me. So we're going to talk about machismo. Very heavy topic. Very spicy topic. Yes. Um, it's it's heavy. It's heavy. So I wanted to like ask you, what do you what is like machismo to you? So when I think of machismo, I think of one, I think that is that it can exist like on a systemic level, but it can also exist like on a personal or like what people consider indoors type of level, like it can happen in your family as well as it can happen in your workplace. It can happen anywhere that you go. Um, so I define machismo as like an overly assertive or exaggerated like masculinity that often is characterized by is like is control of women mm -hmm. and how women should operate, how women should, you know, behave, how they should dress. And just anybody else that doesn't fit that masculine, like, frame or image that society has for, like, what a man should be. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. I also feel like machismo, you could see it being, it's very, it has a lot of gender roles. It's also very homophobic. It's very transphobic. It's, it's really, really toxic. And, you know, I think, like, within you know you know we're all growing up in america so you know we're all um you know you're puerto rican american you know i'm dominican american and you know if we're talking about an american context you people say toxic masculinity mm -hmm. and that's what machismo is for us it's, it's, it's the the exact like translation in a way because they're both defined like toxic masculinity and machismo are both linked through the patriarchy because right. either it is in Latin America or in the United States, the patriarchy exists and in a way it controls and promotes like these type of behaviors that we see in today 
and why is what we have in this conversation in the first place because mm -hmm. they are the same thing toxic masculinity and machismo walk hand in hand with each other mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know for background knowledge for the you know the audience that's watching this you know machismo is defined as a strong sense of masculine pride in latin american culture machismo is a social behavior pattern in which latino male exhibits in an overbearing attitude to anyone in position he perceives as inferior to his demanding complete sub subservience and i think like anyone anyone that is latinx can has an experience of like this existing in their household and i wanted to ask you jamal like where have you feel like you've seen the machismo behaviors play out in your household or in your life that is very distinct in your memory i would say it has a lot to do like at least my experience um growing up i would see like how my cousins my my female cousins would there was like this pressure on them to be able to cook, clean, do their laundry. Like they were able to do all that like at the age of 10. Like they had chores and a lot of it was domestic work. And while, you know, um, taking care of yourself is not like a bad thing, it's, it's the way that you teach or like how the way that you um, in a way ingrain it into, into young people's minds. Like, oh, this is your role in society and this is what you need to be doing. Because in my specific house or like my immediate family, um, my mom always placed an emphasis on the fact that, like, oh, you can do the same things that your sisters are doing. Like, they, like we, I personally in my media family um, didn't grow up with people who were machista or were trying to um, basically place that on me. But I grew up in a household where women were rebelling against the machismo, you know, the machismo culture in Puerto Rico. Like, this is not how we operate inside this house. Because in my household, my mom was the head of the household. So she was like, everything that you, learning outside of these doors do not apply here. Like, I'm teaching you to be respectful to women and to do the same things women do because men and women can cook, can clean, can both go out and get jobs, can both be leaders. Like, it's, it was just growing up, I would, see most of it in schools especially because um i always been gay like my entire life i feel like i've known it and, and i accepted it and i was always i always gravitate towards my you know toward my girlfriends and in school i would see guys who would pick up on me because of that because mm -hmm. it was like hey like you should be hanging out with the boys and playing with the boys and doing things that boys do when in reality like i did have male friends but a majority of my friends were women and it was just because of the the environment in which i grew up i grew up around a lot of women and i feel like that was mainly growing up um the fact that i used to hang, like chill with with girls 24 7 was one of the main reasons why guys would kind of like look at me sideways and be like mm -hmm. oh he's not like man enough because he wants to be going with i remember one time someone saying like oh you like to hang out with the la lloronas and i'm like La Joronas, like, what is that even supposed to mean? So, so yeah, like, I also seen it a lot in, in um, religion, I guess. Um, one of my sisters is, is um, a hardcore Christian, and I, I mean, I respect that. That's her lifestyle. 
Um, but in a way, I've seen how her behavior has changed from when before she was um, like a how would how would I say a committed Christian to how she is now. Mm-hmm. And one of them, the fact that she doesn't wear pants because in church she was told that men are the ones that wear pants and women should wear you know long skirts and you shouldn't be able to see your feet and stuff like that so it was kind of like damn like why you know why is this even a thing yeah no I I definitely have seen that I think you know, me personally growing up in my household, I had grew up with, you know, a single mother. So I grew up in a predominantly female household. So I didn't experience hand on hand the machismo like complex. Mm-hmm. But I definitely did experience it when it came out of my household. And like, you know, when I go to my 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 tio's house or my tia's house or around my cousins. While, you know, a lot of my cousins grew up with a mother and father in the same household. So mm-hmm. then that's where you end up seeing a lot of gender roles. So to me, I was always different because out of my, a lot of my cousins, I was very outspoken. My mom, like, let me be outspoken and take control of who I am. And I speak up for myself rather than I have, you know, people, friends or family members that have been t- as you know, young girls, you're taught to be silent. And when the man speaks, you listen. Mm-hmm. And how that could be very, 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 not, I would, a different word than toxic is like, it's kind of like a, a domino effect, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're teaching these young girls at a very young age that when the man speaks, you listen and what he says goes, this starts to play into when they become older and they're getting into relationships. And Mm -hmm. then that's when the domestic violence starts. And all these things that we're seeing like today, like it wasn't that long ago where all of these pages were exposing like um, cases of sexual assault and people didn't think it was that prevalent, but it's, it's a result of toxic masculinity and machismo because these are, like you said, once you once you start growing up and you're a young boy there are things that like if you have men in your life they're gonna teach you you know to be tough to not cry to not show you know um any sort of vulnerability or weakness and in in that way the only way that you can express yourself if you can't cry and you can't be sad or you can you know mop around and just be you know depressed it's like you resort to anger so anger is what anger and violence is what young boys are being taught from the from the jump and you know what i'm saying and when you see guys fighting or you see um little boys fighting people often say like oh boys will be boys like let boys work it out the way that boys do and it's like no is that's not the way to operate yourself in a relationship because if 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 i'm settling my issues with a with a fellow man and all i have to do is fight you to solve them, then what does that say when you're indoors and you're having an issue with your girlfriend or your mom, you know what I'm saying? Or, or, or another woman in your life is going to resort to domestic violence, is going to resort to all these other things that we see in society today. And it's just, it's, that's where we need to start correcting, like at a young age, like letting people know that you can be vulnerable. Like there's nothing wrong with being- Vulnerability. 
Yes. So there's nothing wrong with that. You teaching like this not letting young boys cry is mm-hmm. I don't think people realize how detrimental that is to their mental health. You know, cry you, we're all human at the end of the day. We are all human beings. Crying is an emotion. It's a an emotion that is natural for human beings to exhibit. So when you start to suppress a human being of their natural habitat of behavior, they end up suppressing a lot of their emotions inside. So when they get older and they have to start being in environments and in relationships and friendships where they have to start communicating in words how they're feeling and they can't do it. So it automatically leads to frustration. And that's where you exactly where you see like, oh, boys will be boys, fight it out. Like, that's why they start doing these things. And then it ends up, it keeps happening and happening and happening. Because if you're, you know, if I get married one day and my husband exhibits this on me and I have a younger son and he's watching this in the household, that's when it keeps on going. It's a continuous cycle that never stops. And, 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 uh-huh. No, continue. And like you, like you mentioned, if we want to break the cycle, we have to start with teaching the younger generations that the that emotional, like emotional resilience and weakness are two different things. Because you can be emotional, cry things out, work through things, and you know face them head on and continue with your life. That's what emotional resilience is, and that's what a lot of us do when we cry it out and when we figure shit out on our own because we, oh my God, wait, you're editing this out, right? Am I, am I allowed to curse? <laughs> We're not on air. I don't right? care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping like, this wait. in there, by the way, because it's funny. <laughs> I, I heard Ferdinand in my ear telling me, wait, wait, <laughs> don't curse. <laughs> no, but um, like I was saying, you have to teach young young boys that emotional resilience is a thing like you can work out through your emotions and instead of telling them oh that's weakness tell them a real man deals with their shit and gets through it and that's what emotional resilience is it's teaching people that they can persevere through their obstacles through whatever life throws at them and that you will not be seen any weaker just because you decided to cry it out Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it was very important for that movie, um, Inside Out, to come out because it it, show, it it placed a light and an emphasis on like grief and crying and sadness, just because they're like you said they're necessary components of life, and those that's the way that we heal as human people. Mm-hmm. Like we need to sometimes the only thing you could do is just cry it out and cry out those emotions, and then get that strength to continue fighting. Right. Does that make you less weaker? <laughs> Exactly. You you know, Jamon, I don't know if you told everyone, but you were born in Puerto Rico, right? I was. How old were you when you came here? Um, so I was nine years old when I um moved from Puerto Rico to the Bronx. So yeah, it's been a it's been a while since I've been here, but <laughs> I don't think a lot of people know that I was born in Puerto Rico. You're so you're such a body. So I know. <laughs> um, so have you like I don't know if you were you know, you were nine years old, but 
going to school in Puerto Rico compared to going to school here in the Bronx and where you lived in the Bronx is a predominantly like Latinx black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like there was a shift in how boys treated you in Puerto Rico compared to how boys treated you here in the United States? Like compared, like talking in toxic masculinity because of how you mentioned before that boys would look at you sideways because you were hanging out with all the girls all the time and stuff like that. So um, I feel like there was definitely a change once I came. Um, one, because as I was growing up and obviously going through middle school and high school, um, I, you, I was learning. I was learning about like the injustices of the world, you know, all that thing. Once you start expanding your mind and actually lifting the blindfold and seeing how fucked up the world really is. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say that even like friends that I still have from Puerto Rico still have those same like ignorant mentalities from before. And I think a lot of it has to do with the level of education and the level and quality of education that you receive. And I think in part, my education made me and the people that I was around more aware of how our actions impacted other people. But um, it was challenging at first because it was it was kind of like the same treatment at the beginning. Like I was still getting the side eye because I was hanging out with girls and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until high school that I started to actually develop um, like close or relationships with other guys. Um, I had my first like boy best friend in in high school and he was also a a gay man. So there was a lot of things that we can relate to. And um, overall, I feel like, yes, there were times that people were homophobic and, you know, there were certain spaces that I felt like I wasn't welcomed in. But I do admit that in a way, the, like my experience here as a gay man is will be completely different from my experience if I was back home, and I don't know if that makes sense in a way. Oh, no, it does. It, it's just like society here, although we have Trump and the white supremacists. In a way, a lot of other social issues are more advanced and still than, a bit more accepting than in yeah. other places in the world. And it's and it was kind of um like for example when I went I went to Puerto Rico for spring break um last year, and I had like my dad's side of the family asking me if the friend that I had brought, which was my friend Savannah, if she was my girlfriend, and I'm like, you know, like you guys don't know, like <laughs> <laughs> you're like, like um I feel like it's so out there. <laughs> Yeah, and it was in a way, like, I, I love my, my paternal uncle. Like, I love him OD, but I could see that when I told him, it was kind of, um. I mean, first, he's a religious man. So I understood, I guess, in a way, what, like, that his reaction might not have been what I w- was going to expect. But in a way, it was, like, I could see the disappointment. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, damn. Like, you know, he's gay. So, Yeah. Wow, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it's um, okay. It's stronger. So, I, I was also going to ask you, like, how have you become your own man 
like outside of these teachings because it seems that because the machismo is so so embedded in all of us it's like all of us as latinx that you know you have been isolated from other men because of your sexuality as if your sexuality threatens your manhood or who mm-hmm. you, and, and you being a man so yeah. I, so how have you like developed your own you know coming into your own self outside of that so the first thing i did was learn that there is not one way to be a man like masculinity is not defined in one specific way um there is a, a various forms of masculinity there's different types of cultural masculinities geographical masculinities if you look at scotland for example it is common for men to wear skirts because that's part of their culture and you see it throughout other places in the world and that was the first step for me to be my own man because i realized that i don't have to fit a specific mold of what masculinity should be mm-hmm. and it's okay for me to still be emotionally vulnerable talk about my issues have meaningful relationships where i'm able to express how i feel and you know what i'm saying like it 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 took a lot of learning in a way unlearn i had to unlearn everything and then that- relearn that was taught to me and then learn it again. And I feel like um, my undergrad experience was a huge, you know, aid in, in me stepping into who I am as a man because it, just because I might be um, attracted to other men doesn't mean that I'm any less of a man than any other man that you see walking up, you know, across the, the street or whatever the case might be. So um, a lot of it had to be with me first realizing that there was no way, there was not one way to be a man and also accepting the type of man that I was. Mm-hmm. And not only accepting, but taking pride in all those things that made me different from other men because I'm showing people that, you see, people are telling you, you have to be this way, but here I am living my best life, being who I choose to be, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that that was the biggest, the biggest thing, just realizing, educating myself and educating others too on, you know, there's not one way to be a man. You're so right. I'm so, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, as I was like researching this topic, you know, because we know it on a, we definitely know it on a personal level, but I wanted to see it like on a bigger scale and how much like toxic masculinity really affects like men of color specifically and last spring i was taking a latinx literature class and we're reading the brief wonders life of oscar Wilde by juno diaz you've read that book before um i didn't but my best friend did you've heard of everyone has heard of that book yeah i was like i already know the whole storyline right (laughs) it's like this is my life (laughs) so in the book you know you see it it's specifically on dominican um a dominican american experience but i think Mm -hmm. anyone in latinx culture could identify with it and you see in the book how toxic masculinity has played a role in the suffering of his sister of himself and everyone else around him. 
and how like he has all these mental health issues because of this and they root a lot of like the machismo back into colonization from the beginning of time and someone in my class had said that when you colonize a land or you colonize a country it is seen to be that the country or land is becoming very feminized so that mm -hmm. is why men of color end up becoming hyper masculine and that's why these teachings have been brought up like upon us through generations and i was like wow i never like thought about but, it in that I, way yeah i ne i didn't think about it in that way and it's like it's true because if you're become if your land is becoming colonized you're then becoming you know you're subjected to slavery and that you're you're under these these men mm -hmm. and yeah. how that be very threatening to one's masculinity or oneself mm -hmm. and i think like it like you said um machismo plays a, a huge role in in a lot of like the mental health issues facing um communities of color right now because the suppression of emotions for example like not talking about what bothers you. I've seen um, fellow men who have not even cry when their mother died or, you know, or dealt with a breakup or grief over something. And those things, you know, start developing into anxiety, start developing into depression and just a bunch of other mental health issues that are caused because you, there's this whole, um, cultural norm that like oh it's not normal for men to seek out help or you know reach out for professional help because one your theme is weak two depending on what household you come from if you're coming from a religious background not only are you considered um a weak you consider weak but in some instances you can be considered crazy because you know how how um certain households play like downplay on me um, mental health uh, of, course. It, of course of course like you know, either at un demonio or you're just crazy. Like, mm -hmm. there's not, there's never that. Like, oh, like you know, you should go and reach out for help. Like, seek this. And therapy is like so frowned upon. Like, oh, you crazy that you going to therapy? And it's like even the word crazy, like the way it's used and it's like used so lightly. I'm like, you don't understand how that's also a very big stigma against people that are dealing with a lot of mental health issues. And to be honest, the way the world is, we all are dealing with mental health issues. Nobody here is all right up here. That's just, so the, the, the frowning upon and all of it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't um, make sense or help anybody. And, you know, especially in Latin America, like a lot of femicide is going on. And for those of you that don't know what feminine, femicide means it's a sex-based hate crime broadly defined as like the intentional killing of females and in latin america the, especially we had lasu had did a, a general body meeting on this for lhm on femicide in mexico specifically because there was there's 10 women per day dying in mexico that, that are killed yeah they're being Ten. murdered by men and, I, and in a lot of cases are men who are close to them, like intimate partners, family yep. members, or, you know, or just a, a friend, a best friend or anything. Mm -hmm. So it's like, 
I, I remember telling you earlier that when I was trying to get a little bit more insight on, on the topic, um, they described like the, the femicides happening in Latin America as the other pandemic that Latin America is currently dealing with right. because um, a lot, and I, uh, like, as I was reading, I felt, um, I felt as if the coronavirus made the fem- like the co- kind of, um, triggered that spike in cases mm-hmm. because, um, I was reading that there was a lot of like domestic violence, um, domestic violence, um, hotlines that were quarantining. Yeah. That there was a lot of like, um, government services that were no longer there because of COVID that protect the women in, you know, in this scenarios and it's just it's just disheartening to see like you know that there's a, a rise during a pandemic of feminism and you know i also feel like as you know me being a woman like sometimes when i feel like i have to talk about this with men in my life or men in my family and the ways that they're um experience like exhibiting um toxic masculinity they automatically go to the extreme Like, Mm -hmm. I don't mean that you're beating up every woman you see and you're killing women. That's just one way of looking at toxic masculinity. If we're going to look at it on a lighter level, that's like, you know, when I'm a young girl, oh, you need to wear a bra in the house. It's like, why are men looking at me this way? It also comes into like hypersexualizing women. And or you know. I have to always stop what I'm doing to go and cook and clean and do these things in the household while, you know, my cousins that are my age, that are men, they're sitting down, not having to do much. And, you know, I even see it on, like, I was, I've been watching, you know, my cousin lately and he's, you know, six years old. He's a little boy. And at his age, I was already washing dishes in my house. Meanwhile, you know, if you think about it, I'm like, how? I'm looking at him. He's six years old. I'm like, who was making me wash dishes at six years old? But it's because I'm a girl. And, you know, you have, the, like, you know, over, over sex, not even over sexualizing, but over maturing little girls at such a young age. And, like, that whole, like, you know better. And it's like, do you really know better? And so you them. Yeah, to exactly. Be, to be subservient, to be controlled by men mm-hmm. that's what's was happening in a lot of households and a lot of people don't realize it which is why it was important to to put emphasis on the fact that machismo and and toxic masculinity is not just a systemic thing it's like a thing that could happen in, in your life in your family and it's and also what we even can like, do to stop I, this teaching i i it even comes into like how men view women like the stereotypes that they have in, mm-hmm. you know, I'll never know better because you're a man and I'm a woman or I'll, you know, I'm always too emotional or I'm, I'm always complaining or it's this, it's that. And anything to put anything I'm feeling or anything I'm educated about that I'm speaking on, it has to somehow be related with me being a woman. And now these negative stereotypes that people place upon women and how detrimental that could be like when you're hearing that you know you got to go in the world and hear that and then to hear from men in your own family like that you are i share the same blood as you and you're speaking to me in this way Mm -hmm. they they don't understand how detrimental that is to young girls to women to young women 
and older women as well. And I was like looking up the statistics on femicide, like going on right now in Latin America and the Caribbean. And it showed that at least 3,287 women have been victims of femicide just in 2018. And this was prior to the corona outbreak. Prior. Probably spiked those cases by thousands. Because I know that in Mexico alone, the, the cases were, were extremely high. And I know that there was also reports on El Salvador, on Honduras, Chile, and Colombia. So it's like, it's, it's a widespread issue. And like you said, every time that, like, that a woman speaks or, or acts um, in defiance to the patriarchy, you know, that, that is a revolutionary act because you're not, you're not allowing them to place you in the, in the mold that they want to place you. You're stepping outside and defining right. who you are, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, I find, it's true. Yeah. Like it, it, I go around my family and sometimes they say stuff that is, it's, it's, it's toxic masculinity and I have to correct them. They call me the radical that I'm the radical of the family. I'm like, I'm not being radical. I'm just saying respect me as a human being and as a woman. Like, mm-hmm. just respect me. How's that so hard to do? You know, and I would, it'd be like, you know, little examples. Like, I got to wear a bra around the house. But meanwhile, you know, my cousin walks around in underwear with no shirt. I'm like, he's half naked. <laughs> Come on. You know, but it. You know, like, even going back to mental health for men, like, I think, you know, like, you don't want to put it on women that we have to go and check on, check on our men that, how are they doing mentally? But it's like, you know, we still want to talk about it also, because it's not talked about enough. And how men, you know, because of, like, machismo teaching, they're struggling with depression, anxiety, eating disorders anger management issues and I don't I don't know I maybe you can give me a better answer and how you feel like we can improve this for future generations to come within our community I feel like the biggest step will be for men to start taking accountability because I feel like like you mentioned for example oh I don't like as a woman it's not your job to be repairing broken men. So that's not what your life mission or your objective in life is. And I feel like a lot of times, toxic men make it seem like, oh, like I need a woman to help fix myself and right. learn all the things. And it's like, no. The, and specifically, the... specifically women of color, women of color, yeah. I put that burden on. Like, I got to build you up to be a man. Like, I'm not taking care of somebody's son. I'm not doing that. Exactly. Exactly. And then with men stepping up and recognizing that the behaviors that they're following and the, and you know, the, the type of things that we're doing are basically enforcing or reinforcing toxic masculinity. And by taking that accountability, you're taking that step back to look at how your actions affect the people around you. And a lot of men do not have that. They don't think that they're doing anything wrong, that they don't feel like toxic masculinity is a real thing because that's what they've been taught. And it's like, no, you need to take a second to step back and unlearn all those things that you that were taught to you and realize that there's better, like 
there are better ways to be a better human being. Yeah, absolutely. Like for people that don't don't see the severity of the issue, there's literally scientific research on what this does to men of color's mental health and how related this is between with not even within Latin Latin X culture, like for the black community, for the Asian community, for for men of color in general and how it it leads to all these it could lead to all of these different things you know you see you see like women that are in these really abusive relationships and abuse can come in all different kinds of forms it's not only in physical like emotional being controlling uh, being very jealous those all are forms of coming from toxic masculinity and trying to control your woman and mm-hmm. how we need to do better. We, I mean, men of color, they need to do better by their women. <laughs> they do. It, they definitely. And I, you know, I also wanted to like ask you, how do you feel like you see that within the, within the LGBTQ plus community? um in terms of like how toxic masculinity plays a role yeah um i would say that a lot of the homophobia that you're seeing today stems a lot from toxic masculinity and um i know we touch upon the fact that there are times when men who identify as part of the lgbtq community they lose their manhood in a way because they're not you know following the the stereotypes you know that are p- placed upon the, the male gender mm-hmm. so um and it that th- this is predominantly for um trans individuals who are often like the mockery of these men of these toxic men who do not understand the 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 life and struggle of people of the lgbtq community but apparently have a lot to say exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> They have a lot to say about it, and it doesn't. It doesn't mean that we're like any less than any other person just because one I may like men or someone might identify as a, as a woman. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're like. I don't know. I feel like in a way it dehumanizes us. It dehumanizes the LGBTQ community, and a lot of the times when we we get for for example i'm speaking from like a gay man perspective you get um like you get called terms like sissy or or oh, you're you're being a little bitch or this and that like things that you know are meant to characterize you as being a woman because you're choosing to do something that like men don't do mm-hmm. you know so a lot of times it is dehumanizing like that's why um it feels like for the LGBTQ community, and it has been like this for generations already. Yeah. I think me, like, speaking on, like, a personal level, um, it's been very hard to... It's been hard to date men from my culture because of that. You know, I didn't grow up in a... You know, I grew up in a very Dominican household, but not it being traditional in the sense that gender roles were so prevalent. And I was always taught to be my own person and be proud and be strong and speak out when I have something to say. 
which is mm -hmm. not necessarily um, promoted like in every like Latinx house hold for, for young girls and mm -hmm. how that I've, I feel like I've sometimes dated, have dated men from my culture and I've felt very oppressed in being in those relationships and having to compromise things that shouldn't be compromised in having my own voice and having my own opinion and for it to be respected and how detrimental that is to, you know, women of color, like everywhere, you know, we're, we're put in these, we're put in these like relationships where we have to build up these men. And then it's like, for what? To get endure all this abuse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you're left damaged. Right. Because you're sacrificing parts of yourself to build this broken man that should have been able to build himself. And, and you know, that's how we see ourselves in the media too. Because if you ever see a movie that is like a, like a mind two like two people of color falling in love, like let's just say heterosexual right now, mm. you see the woman going through so much abuse for then at the end for him to be this great man. Oh, I stuck with you through all of this. I'm your ride. I'm your ride or die. That that term has been so misused as well as, like it's been used to like endure abuse from a man. Mm-hmm. And making it seem like, oh, that loyalty in a way, like, oh, how loyal can you be? And, you know, in this scenario, in this scenario, in this scenario, for you to, like, earn, like, my love or something. Right. Like, and I shouldn't have to earn your love. Mm-hmm. It should, it should just be a relationship where people are equally doing things. Right. To others' love and respect. Mm-hmm. I also wanted um, to ask you, but, you know, if you feel like this is a personal question, you don't have to answer and I'll just, like, cut this out. But, like, you, you know, you being a gay man, right, and you're Puerto Rican, like, you t do you tend to, like, want to date more men from your community or, like, outside of your community? Like, how does that look like for you? I feel like one... I date men from all communities. I just, <laughs> <laughs> but in a way, I do understand that there, there's just like sometimes, like like you said, like being being educated. Sometimes you get labeled as being like radical or whatever, and in a way, it's because you no longer like believe the same things that me members of your family or your culture might might strongly believe in. And I feel like at times there's like, what, how would I say this? Cause like, like I would date, like I do, you know, mess, like date men of, of my culture, but at times I, I try to distance myself just because there might be just something that I've, that I'm seeing in my own family that I don't want it to be replicated in my relationship as well. Right. You know, like the way that sometimes like my cousins have their relationship with their boyfriends or my brother or how he has his relationship with his girlfriend and I'm like the the common denominator in this relationship is the fact that all of you are from Puerto Rico and I'm like I don't want to be put in a situation like this so I try and you know I tend to distance myself in a way and kind of um it kind of reminds me of what you said of how you know you don't like to date men from your culture because you feel like 
they're they're, they're perpetuating like they the ideas yeah. in the household into your relationship essentially not obviously not all men from my culture but i'm speaking on my personal experience with some like a few men mm-hmm. that i have dated and it's it it's very oppressing and you know like even like we can't even get into the topic of cheating like how that even goes in with machismo like what is up with that or yeah because it's, it's like it's like a, I would call it like a seasonal like sport for <laughs> for men, and then men get like celebrated, and then women look you know like they're looked down upon, they're frowned upon when they do that. Even when they speak to like multiple people, for example, right? Or like, or you or you have dated um uh, you know dated multiple guys, you're suddenly seen as like, oh, this person is a slut or whatever, as opposed to a guy who does the same thing, and it's like over celebrating you as a king mm-hmm. of you know and i because I, I think you brought when you asked me the question about um dating men from my culture i think i started thinking about how like toxic masculinity even plays within the lgbtq community because there's still gay men who well, are internalized hy- homophobia yeah and they look down on gay men who are more feminine and there's like that divide of like oh well for example i like i dress a certain way and my sister was like are you um sometimes i question if you're really gay because you don't dress like a gay person and i'm like what is that supposed to mean and in her mind she thought of like walter mercado and <laughs> how you know dressing flying boy and 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 like you know always i don't know how to like you know what i'm what yeah, i'm trying they're, to they're stereotyping of how of what they think of as a gay man they think of a gay man being very very feminine mm-hmm. and it's not that like it's not that oh that that's not that there isn't gay men that are very feminine there's just not a way to being or dressing or acting or speaking gay like there's just no way to it. You can't like just say like this is the universal definition because it just doesn't work that way. And I yeah, think so- also even for people like when they think of a gay man, essentially they think of a white man. And they mm-hmm. tend to forget that there are men of color that are gay. Yeah, and a lot of the times that's where um a lot of the divide comes in. Because you have not only are you this type of gay man, but also like what kind of like, what race do you belong to as a gay man? Because that also plays a huge, huge role. And I feel like even in this, in, like, the gay movement, sometimes, though, not sometimes, oftentimes, like, white gay men completely disregard all the other intersectionalities that men of co- gay men of color go through that make their experience way different from how their experience is. Right. And... And within relationships, when you find yourself in, in a relationship with another man, you can also fall as, you know, you can also be a victim of toxic masculinity, even if you're a guy dating another guy. Because there's, there's like, this whole culture of, like, men who... I, I want, I'm, like, looking for the academic terms for this. Because... <laughs> no, just say however you want to say it. Yeah. So there's, you know, in, in gay culture, you have tops and bottoms. And top, top men who, who are, are often... There's not what, like the more masculine one in the relationship? 
or or what they will try to define to as like the male in their relationship while the bottom mm-hmm. is considered the women in their relationship even though the relationship is made up of two men so that's already an example of toxic masculinity because you're already saying like well i'm the man in the relationship so i need to act this way behave this way think this way and treat you this way and you're supposed to just take it mm-hmm. because you know, because you're the more you're the more feminine one. You're the one that likes all that what what they consider all that gay shit. And right. you also have of um, DL men or down low people, men who sleep around with other men but pretend to be heterosexual because of the the culture and the society that we live in mm-hmm. have made that. Um, like a norm like it's normal for gay men to be down low and and live double lives in fear of how other men are going to perceive them because right. they're gay mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's, it's heavy <laughs> I <laughs> I feel like you know you wanna you like I feel like you know you wanna bring awareness to the to the topic right but you don't wanna put you you want to empath empathize, but then also hold people accountable as well, mm-hmm. because you know I think about like this is honestly the first example that comes at the top of my head. If we see like the Chris Brown and Rihanna, like Chris Brown beat Rihanna up, right? Why did he do that? He must have been angry about something. Can't get his feelings into words, so he just starts beating her up. And he grew up, background knowledge on Chris Brown, he grew up in a house where domestic violence happened all the time. And it's like, you know, at that point, you know, it's like you empathize that you've experienced these things, but you've also done, you've also now contributed to the cycle. And it's like, how can we... Like how can we hold people accountable while giving them the help that they need? Like, how can we maneuver in that way? And that's what I, I try to think about all the time. Like, what are we supposed to do? Because if somebody is acting like this, they obviously need help. But then they've also done something very terrible. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at times, because I know that, like, for example, the, the Rihanna and Chris Brown example might be um like it's not like extreme but in a way there um how do i say this so it's like damn like you you need to hold these men accountable let them know like hey you did wrong and I, oftentimes they don't get that like you're uh, for for a lot of men you might be the first woman to tell them like you're not supposed to talk to a woman like that because everybody has sugarcoated them for them. So mm-hmm. in a way, like, like I understand your background, but at the same time, I'm educating you on what you're doing wrong so that you can fix it. And mm-hmm. that so that you, you don't fall into that cycle anymore and that you don't contribute to the cycle either. Yeah. And I feel like the only way people have kind of tried to like teach that this is wrong is like by telling boys like, oh, would you want someone to treat your mom or your sister like that? But it's just like everybody on this planet is related to a woman. Everybody comes from the womb of a female, of a woman. 
So I just feel like that, that term, like that saying is also very dehumanizing to women. Cause do I have to belong to a man for me to get respect as a human being? I have to be, I have to have a brother and a, a present father for me to get respect. It can't just be that this is a human. You don't treat a human that way. And it, it's, it's really, it, it causes a lot of divide within a lot of relationships. And it's, re- it's really, it's really like violent towards for women of color, for the trans community, for LGBTQ plus community. It's very violent. Mm-hmm. Because some, like often you have to basically beg people to see you for more than just being someone else's possession in a way. Right. Like, and that's why, for example, like all these calls or the, or these movements all these like revolutionary acts that we're seeing from people like across the world when they're fighting injustices, it's like we're demanding attention for our, like as an individual. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I think a lot about how machismo is something that is, has been historically embedded into our society. Right. Because if you think about colonialism, for example, one of the first acts of colonialism was the the mass rape of indigenous women by Spanish colonizers. Mm-hmm. So that's already the mentality that the colonizers are are coming with. Like right. it, in land, it's acceptable for me to rape and defile women, and that became like a like a cultural norm. And you see it with the with the with the cases of um, femicide, femicide, right? <laughs> I, I, I I like flip around back and forth with the two different pronunciations in my mind but you see how that has been like culturally embedded into into Latinx culture for example right and the the, the best way to address it is to grab it by grab it by the balls you know like <laughs> for lack of better words it's just like tackling the issue straight on and and and, you know calling things the way that they're supposed to and that's why i like the fact that a lot of um because i i may not know much about like the the cases of femicide in in mexico but i've been keeping tabs on what's been happening in puerto rico yeah very prevalent there as well it's prevalent all over latin america and crazy and i didn't know about it until i saw one of my um, friends from back from back in Puerto Rico reshare this um, post about this one girl that was kidnapped from her house, and people kept trying to say that it was like, oh, she ran away with her boyfriend, when in reality that wasn't the case. And then she was found a week later, and she was murdered, and that caused like a like a huge outcry in Puerto Rico because. Like, there, there has been a lot of cases of women being killed, especially during the pandemic, and the right. government authorities not doing anything about it. Exactly, because of the, the way that women are undervalued. And, you know, especially during quarantine, right? If, we're ha- if I'm in a domestic, if I'm in an abusive relationship, sorry, not domestic. Um, if I'm in an abusive relationship, and I have to be quarantined with my significant other, and in general, everybody is feeling antsy in the house because you're in there all day, nothing to do. Like the pandemic in general is just hard on the mental health. 
And now we are ready to add the other layer that we're ready in a very abusive relationship. You're going to be beating me up like every day, all the time. And, 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 it's, and, and I feel like people don't, don't take mental health into consideration in things like a pandemic. Because I barely have, how many times have you seen Telemundo or Univision or any of these big channels emphasizing taking care of your mental health, especially during the Never. pandemic? No. Never. You have people like you and, and me trying to educate people, taking on the roles of educators and, and, and activists and, you know, bringing attention to the things that the society and the government are failing to bring attention to. And it's just like, like you, like you said, you're stuck in this space. You can't go outside because there's nothing outside and you're falling victim to the same cycle that you already were part of. And now the quarantine is making it 10 times easier for the, for the aggressor to have, you know, access to the person that they're oppressing and tormenting. You know, 